You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 562 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Friday evening, not a normal recording time for us on the podcast. Normally we are mostly, I would say, aside from games, a Monday through Friday operation. But here we are on a Friday evening with enough news to hit on that I didn't want to wait until after the weekend. So hopefully if you're out and about on this fine uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday stretch, if you're uh, looking for something in, in between the Masters and the NBA playoffs and all that fun stuff, you can fire this up and uh, enjoy some Hawks talk. So uh, a lot of odds and ends on this podcast. No overwhelming theme, but plenty to get to. First and foremost, X interviews for the Hawks were taking place on Thursday. I was in the building for some of that. Uh, it was a very, very long day by all accounts, like a five-hour process to get through all the whole roster. And then Lloyd Pierce spoke for quite some time. A few takeaways that I wanted to hit on. Um, I guess the top line one is that Trey Young and Kevin Herter are not planning on playing on and playing on the summer league team in Las Vegas. I talked about this on the last podcast, but uh, the Hawks will not be going to Utah, so only Las Vegas this time around. I said at that at, at that point in time that I would not have sent Trey Young to Las Vegas as a player, so that's sort of a positive in my opinion. With Herder, I was uh, thinking he probably would end up going, so I'm, I guess I'm pleasantly surprised by this. I would not have been sending him if all things were equal. I would have been fine if he actually went and played, but I'm totally fine with him not playing as well. I think I would have put, chosen for him not to play if I was in charge of this. Um, I thought that last year they had to play. I guess they just, you know, felt, felt like they had to play John Collins. He had not been quite as prominent of a player in terms of a minute minute basis as uh, Kevin Herter was this season, with the way the Hawks were in some in some different ways. And, you know, with Trey Young coming in, I think they wanted to establish some uh, rapport between Collins and Young this time around. Um, and by the way, I was pretty pretty adamant during Summer League last year that Collins was playing too much. I think they probably played him way too much, in my, in my opinion. He was by far the best player on the court basically the entire time he was on, he, he was in Las Vegas. So kind of went overboard with that one just a little bit. With Herter, it would not have been the situation where he would have been the, mo- the most physically dominant player like Collins was in Las Vegas. But I think he's done more than enough to avoid playing in Summer League, frankly. And it was more of a supporting piece as well. So I'm not really sure what the uh, upside would be to playing him in summer league. I know I mentioned in the last podcast that maybe you know having the ball in his hands some would be interesting, but in the in the grand scheme, him playing against sub NBA competition isn't really going to do much for you, in my opinion. Um, with that said, both guys did say that, that they'll be with the team in Las Vegas. Generally, young guys are around. Uh, would not be a surprise that they were you know popping around you know meetings, team huddles, all that fun stuff. But I, I think it'd be uh, judging by the comments made by both Young and Herder, not expecting those guys to be playing in Vegas, which is not going to take away much from me. They'll be they'll, they'll still be some rookies. They'll be Amari Spellman. They'll be Jalen Adams, et cetera, et cetera. So plenty plenty of intrigue with Vegas, just not with Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Uh, speaking of Amari Spellman, he indicated at his uh, exit interview that he's not quite full go yet with his ankle injury, but he's nearing that point. He'll be good to go for summer league. He was introspective, I thought. Uh, pretty interesting to, to uh, talk about. By the way, all of these exit interviews were available in full. Um, the Hawks streamed all of these on Periscope, so they are uh, the archives are available. That's why I'm not going to play a ton of audio for you guys on the pod, because it was not like it was a situation where it's normal media availability. These were publicly available, so no reason to really break all of that down necessarily. Some interesting comments in some ways, but nothing you know, overly revolutionary. 
Uh, lastly, Lloyd Pierce spoke for almost 30 minutes. He was very, very long, but uh, typically engaging. He's always, he's very good with the media, I would say. One highlight for me that I wanted to hit on was that he flatly said no to any notion of an accelerated timetable for the rebuild, which I really appreciated. I think that's something that I've been saying for a long time. You know, the Hawks, without accelerating the rebuild next year could possibly be challenging for the playoffs. They don't, they don't need to go ahead and try to speed things up too much. He said that they didn't want to skip steps, quote-unquote, which is a good thing and a smart thing for a team as young as the Hawks are. I know the end of the season was very encouraging at the same time, though. No reason to get overboard and try to speed things up with some contracts that wouldn't be favorable for you a couple years from now. So staying on schedule is probably a good idea, and I think that sort of leans to that. It's important to note, though, he's not the personnel decision maker, so if Travis Schlenk sees something that wants to speed up a little bit, that wouldn't be overly surprising, but I think Pierce always spoke for me in that way and that um, I would be uh, on board with the Hawks taking their time on the rebuild, keeping the uh, timetable in, in play, looking towards the future, not the present, and not um, weighing the present too, too much in the uh, next year or so. Um, beyond exit interviews, I wanted to hit on uh, one brief thing that Trey Young was named the Rookie of the Month for the combination of March and April. The, the NBA did that this year with both March and April and, of course, October and November. Young won four out of the five months for the Eastern Conference. Honestly, should have been five out of five. The one year that he lost, sorry, the one month that he lost was December to Kevin Knox, and Young had a better resume than Knox did, honestly. He probably should have been five for five. I, t- I tweeted that when it happened. Uh, Young was the first, this is the first time in, in team history that a rookie for the Hawks won all four times. Sorry, won, won at least four times. Um, Al Horford won three times for his performance back in 2007-2008. But the last time, the last time a Hawk won the award even once before Trey Young was Ivan Johnson back in 2012. That was an April award, a pretty short month at that, at that point in time. But it was a pretty much a no-brainer, not, not a huge takeaway here. Then, you know, Young was a very deserving representative from the Hawks in that particular award. He was the only choice you could make in March and April for the Eastern Conference. So all that to say, another piece of hardware for Trey Young and everybody will be looking forward to the Rookie of the Year announcement, which doesn't come for more than two months now. I hate the NBA award. Basically, what they've chosen to do now with the NBA awards does not make a lot of sense to me. You let the entire momentum of the award season die down and you announce it at, after the draft. That's a long time from now. The, the award show is June 24th. That's just, I guess that's a, a, pers- a personal thing for me. I know you can't really do a, an award show in between the season and the playoffs because people have playoff games, but the show doesn't really matter to most people, I would say. So um, waiting to announce these awards doesn't make sense to me. And that was, that's kind of the long and short of it. You know, 10 weeks of a delay takes all the wind out of the sails of the, of the debate and all that fun stuff. So hold your breath if you want to for the next 10 weeks. But uh, Young um, definitely earned a lot of recognition, and he was fantastic down the stretch. So there you go with that. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, I do want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or the Himalaya app or Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, all those places. We are definitely in all those spots or we're different places. If you want to find us in different podcast platforms, if we're not there, please let me know that. I will do my best to get that fixed for you. But uh, a lot to come. We're not going to be slowing down in the offseason really at all. So plenty of draft talk. Uh, draft is, I wouldn't say a specialty of mine, but something that I definitely focus on quite a bit. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll have plenty of that, including just in a few moments when we talk about the draft and the lottery. But stay tuned. Please subscribe. Leave positive feedback. Five-star reviews if you can help it. And uh, we'll come back in just a few seconds with more on the podcast. All right, we're back to talk about Kent Bazemore briefly. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported on Friday afternoon that Bazemore is unsurprisingly going to be opting into his player option for the coming season, 2019-2020 season. It's about $19.27 million for Bazemore. 
everyone was assuming this, you know, you know, I, I know early, I think earlier in the year, I, I answered a question about this and I was sort of leaving the door open and always cracked a little bit that, um, maybe Bazemore would opt out if he were to look for a long-term deal. But once he got injured and once he sort of got banged up and really struggled for a few weeks there, it was kind of an open and shut case that he'd be opting into this money. It's, it's quite a lot of money, obviously, for Kent Bazemore. By the way, if you're wondering, Bazemore can also sign an extension with the Hawks if you would like to, or if, like, I guess, like I guess if both parties wanted him to in July after he's picked up the option. And they could technically start that at pretty much any value under $23 million a year. Um, probably not going to be not going to be a concern, but I wanted to pass that along to you that once he picks up the option officially, he could sign an extension if the Hawks and Bazemore wanted to agree to one. But with that said, the, the bigger takeaway here is that, you know, no big surprise here. He was, he's never, he was never going to get $19 million annually on the market again as a free agent if he wanted to opt out and hit the free agent market. And, um, you know, I got a lot of people sort of when, I, when this was tweeted about on Friday that were lamenting the Bazemore contract again. And it's sort of a, a, t- a topic that, we t- that we've, we've discussed quite a bit over the last three years. But I will say this, I've said it before, but it was not a good contract. Obviously, no one would, no one would dispute that. I do think that the local reaction has been a little bit overboard at times because while Bazemore has been overpaid for the entirety of the deal, it wasn't an abject disaster in the way that a lot of the deals that were in the 2016 summer were. You know, the entire league kind of went crazy that summer. Um, I can name a lot of uh, a lot of examples of deals that were much much worse than Bazemore's. So, you know, Tim Tim, Tim Mozgov, Luol Deng, Joe Kim Noah, Evan Turner, Bismack Biombo, Miles Plumley, who's still now on the Hawks, by the way. So plenty of um, plenty of candidates for worst contract, and, and none of them are Kent Bazemore. So obviously, it was not a good decision by the previous regime front office, especially in tandem with drafting two veteran wings in college that summer. But that's not Bazemore's fault. It's always important to recognize that a, that a player is not at fault for signing a, a big money contract. That's definitely on the team side. The player, as anyone would, would take would take would take the money and try to live up to that. So Bazemore's been an upstanding citizen as well, and a good leader. So no reason to really criticize him for taking the money whatsoever. And I do think that it's important to know that even if, even if you were low, even if you were low or still are low on Kent Bazemore, and want to say that he was never even like a full-fledged starting caliber player, he's a solid rotation piece, and uh, at a position where a lot of people are needed. So I think, frankly, you know, four for seven, he was an overpay, no, no question about that. But the last year of the contract, he's going to be making nineteen million dollars or so. That's too much, but um, even I think in retrospect, if he had signed for 450, no one would have been batting an eye. I think it's a, he's a, a very solid supporting piece. Probably at this stage, not preferable for him to be a full-time starter for you, but certainly a rotation player for almost every team, every, every team in the league, and uh, one that's overpaid, but not really an albatross, especially as he enters his last year of his contract. Um, last thing on that, I think it's already. I was already getting a few questions on this. Um, you know, the shift to talking about whether, whether the Hawks should trade him now that he's officially going to be on the team this year. Uh, just one note: he can't be traded until he officially picks it up, which I don't think has happened just yet. Um, he has. He has actually. He actually has, has until late June to go ahead and do that. So he doesn't have to do that now. He may have informed the Hawks early or done it officially at some point in the in the near future, but he does not have to do that until the end of June or at least close to that. I think it'd be easier to move him now if you were just dead set on doing that. But I think, you know, by all counts, everyone likes Kent Bazemore in Atlanta. And I think with the way the Hawks have the cap set up, they already have a lot of cap space this summer. They don't really need that money, that money to come off the books. And, um, there's not really, it's not really that much of an incentive. I guess if a team wanted to treat Bazemore as positive or neutral salary and give assets back, then you would probably have to consider that. But if they're treating him as an albatross contract, you wouldn't want to trade that deal and take on the pain of, of that kind of, of that, that kind of contract. Um, even more so, if they wanted to dump, like if one, if they were def, in def, uh, I guess desperate need to do a, a salary dump, 
purely, Miles Plumlee would be a more uh, appetizing option for the Hawks to get rid of because he doesn't really add anything on the court in a lot of ways. Um, whereas Bazemore is a very useful player. Granted, it would be probably easier to deal Bazemore because he actually, again, helps you and, and would help basically any team. With that said, um, there's not really a big-time need or a high priority to trade Bazemore in the next few months unless the Hawks need that cat space, which I can't imagine they would, but maybe if they do, if they want to get creative or maybe land somebody that's uh, of a high-profile nature and need more cat space to fill it out around him, I get that. But in the meantime, the only reason to do that would be if they absolutely needed the cat space or a, an opposing team really wanted to pay up on a level that was treating Bazemore like, a, like, a, like he was appropriately paid. So all that to say, not really an urgent thing for me. We'll have plenty more about you know trade stuff and free agency stuff in the coming days. But Bazemore looks like he's going to be on the roster. No big surprise there. He can still play. He can help the Hawks. I mean, it's definitely going to be in a supporting role at this point in time. So $19.27 million. Fire that away. It's going to be on. It's going to be on the roster. And if you were looking for more salary cap information, I would recommend checking out earlybirdrights.com. That's hosted by uh, the great Jeff Siegel. Um, he is got. He's the fastest on the trigger to update cap sheets from around the league. Hawks first among them. Um, if you want the most up to date salary cap information in the business, earlybirdrights.com, and uh, that's where I get all my stuff from. So check that out if you're looking for more on that. Uh, last but not least. On the podcast, the biggest piece of news, honestly, on this particular day, considering baseball news was kind of expected, was the draft tiebreaker. Uh, always, I guess, tiebreakers, but the couple that were involving the Hawks. If you are familiar with this, the NBA had to break ties for teams that tied in the standings. Um, they don't really use like an elaborate tiebreaker setup unless it's for the playoffs. So for positioning in the draft, it's basically comes down to ping pong balls. And uh, the biggest, the biggest high profile one that that involved the Hawks, at least tangentially was the three-way tie between Dallas, Memphis, and New Orleans at 33 wins. The odds for those teams to jump into the top four of the draft lottery were already split evenly, and I'm going to say this a couple times on this podcast, the tiebreaker does not impact whether Dallas jumps into the top four or not, oh, a.k.a. does not impact whether the Hawks get the pick or not. That Those odds were already set. We said that a few days ago. Just for the record, it's a 26.2% chance that Dallas keeps their pick, meaning that it's a 73.8% chance that the Hawks get their pick. That did not change today at all. So, coming into the tiebreaker, the Hawks were absolutely rooting for Dallas to win the tiebreaker. I know that was sort of a foreign explanation to some people. I was trying to explain it on Twitter. I'm just going to say it again. Coming into today... We already knew the exact percentages of whether Dallas would be in the lottery, in the top four or not. Um, so there was no reason to root against Dallas or want the pick to be any lower because it's basically either they get in the top four or they don't. And coming into the day, you wanted to have Dallas win the tiebreaker. Well, Atlanta did not have the benefit of that luck because Dallas lost the tiebreaker. In fact, they finished third of three in the tiebreaker. So. All that to say, now the short version is the ceiling on the pick on the pick that Dallas could send to Atlanta. The best case scenario for the Dallas pick, if you are the Hawks right now, is number nine overall. Coming into the day, it could have been as high as seven, but they of course lost this tiebreaker. So now the Dallas pick either will stay in Dallas, or the best case scenario for the Hawks will be number nine overall. It's a 46.4% chance that the Hawks will have the number nine overall pick in this class with um, from Dallas. It's a 24.3% chance of the number 10 pick. So if you combine those two things, you're at about 70% or more that's going to be either the ninth or 10th pick. That's pretty good odds um, that, that the Hawks are going to have a, 10, a, a top 10 pick in addition to their own pick. And then 2.9% at 11 0.1% at 12 and then it's an infinitesimal. It's not impossible. The, the, the pick could go to 13. It's pretty much impossible, but not all the way impossible. It's a very, 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 very low number that could get um, basically all four teams that are in the uh, bottom of the lottery would have to jump in the top four. So the odds of that are astronomical, but it is possible that Dallas could be picking 13, which means Atlanta would be picking 13. 
So all that to say, the best case scenario for the Hawks now in the overall draft sense is them winning the lottery on their own in Atlanta. Um, I'd obviously have a number one pick and then Dallas landing at number nine. That'd be a very strong scenario. And that is a possible one. The worst case, although this is borderline impossible, but it's not quite impossible, would be the Hawks falling all the way to nine, which is already really unlikely on its own. And then Dallas falling all the way to 13. Uh, those combina- that combination is pretty much impossible, but it's, it's certainly in play if you want to be technical about it. So, you know, all that to say, just summar- summarizing this a little bit, the Dallas pick, the, lot- the lottery odds are unchanged. They'll have a 26.2% chance, this is Dallas, to keep that pick. And that- they only keep it if they can get-, get into the top four. So entering May 14th, you know, about a month ago, um, sorry, a month from now, the Hawks will have a 73.8% chance to get the Dallas pick. So almost three-fourths, that's a pretty that's pretty good odds there. Uh, you know, if Dallas um, does not fall, uh, I guess, if, well, I guess, I guess I guess if Dallas rises, if Dallas sneaks into the top four, the Hawks will have a top five protected pick again next year in 2020 and so on and so forth from there. But at this point, it, it is likely that the Hawks are going to have two picks in the top 10, and um, we'll keep an eye on that, obviously, between now and then. But for now, for projection purposes, that pick cannot be higher than nine, and that's sort of the top-line takeaway. Last thing on the coin flip scenarios is that Charlotte actually lost a three-way coin flip, and the Hornets owe their second-round pick to the Hawks. Atlanta entering the lottery, this is important, entering the lottery, not after the lottery, but entering the lottery, the Hawks have the number 35, number 41, and number 44 second-round picks. Number 35 is their own. Number 41 is from is from the Lakers as part of a uh, weird trade. And then um, number 44 is uh, the Charlotte Hornets pick. So, um... You know, all that to say, it, it could certainly change. It's basically the reverse order. Um, yeah, it's it's the reverse order is the way to put that. And by the way, I, I misspoke a second ago. It's not the Lakers pick. It's the it's from the Wolves, not, not the Lakers. So I'm 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 misspoke about that a second ago. So number thirty five from is their own pick. Number forty one from Minnesota. Number forty four from Charlotte. And um, you know, it's, it's reverse order for what happens in the lottery. So if somebody jumps up, the odds will reverse and. Et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk more about that after the lottery. Second round pick um, order is not the most important thing in the world, but for now, the Hawks have three second round picks in the top half of the lottery. That probably won't change, but 35, 41, and 44, that was the lesser subplot of the tiebreaker scenarios on Friday afternoon. So I know it's a lot of information to throw at you. I did write up a, an odds explainer post at peachtreehoops.com that I'm going to pin pretty much on the front page for the next month or so in advance of the NBA draft lottery. So if you're looking for more information and just be able to see the numbers in front of you, peachtreehoops.com. I wrote about that. And you can find that there. Please subscribe to this podcast. It's sort of an odds and ends podcast. I know a lot of information, news, and that, that kind of stuff, but plenty of stuff that I want to hit on a, on a Friday. So if you don't listen to this till Monday, you probably won't miss anything. Probably uh, not really expecting anything to change over the weekend. We're definitely not in a big news cycle for the Hawks. Um, the NBA playoffs are arriving this weekend, which I'm excited about. So please stay tuned to this podcast. Please stay tuned to all my work um, writing-wise if you'd like to do that. Also on Twitter, at BT Roland for me and at Locked on Hawks on Twitter for the show. Please subscribe, and we'll see you guys probably next week. But if, if anything crazy happens, we'll, we'll be here. So please stay tuned for that.